I suppose it's a bit odd to begin a sermon by pronouncing the benediction. And for those who look up and hope just now, sorry, we're just, we're just beginning at 20 past 11. Benediction. In Romans 15:13, you know Paul has many benedictions through his letters. I rediscovered this one at the beginning of the summer and it just hasn't left my mind. And when the opportunity came of preaching this morning, I said, that must be it. Though I think it's a passage I haven't ever preached on before. It's not going to come for me. Oh. There are the parts of it. May the, the God of hope. What do we mean by the God of hope? Fill you with all joy. What joy? And peace. What does that mean? As you trust in him. So that you may overflow with hope. By the power of the Holy Spirit. We use the word hope. Very generally. I hope it won't rain for the barbecue. But you know Northern Ireland weather. A little bit of uncertainty there. And somebody said, I, I, I hope that the plane going back won't be three hours late again. That comes from experience. And Paul used uh, the word hope in his writing to various people. The first letter to the Corinthians, he says, I, I don't want to see you now, but make only a passing visit. I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits. Little uncertainty there. And when writing his first letter to Timothy, he said, although I hope to come to you soon, I'm writing these instructions so that if I am delayed, he knew all about shipping in those days, or even across country. A little bit of uncertainty in all of those. What I want to say to you is that as far as God is concerned, the God of hope, there is no uncertainty at all. Nothing. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. What does that mean? We are looking forward to the time when we shall be with him, when we shall see him, and when we shall be like him. There's no uncertainty there. Not only so, Paul goes on in what Richard read to us, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And here's the point. And hope does not disappoint us. Because God has poured out his love into our hearts by his Holy Spirit, whom he has given. If God says it, he does it. And everything follows from that. I like the comments of the uh, NIV study Bible on this verse. And it says this, the believer's hope is not to be equated with unfounded optimism. That's our normal hope, isn't it? 
unfounded optimism. Maybe, perhaps, I hope so. On the contrary, it is blessed assurance of our future destiny. And is based on God's love, which is revealed to us by the Holy Spirit and objectively demonstrated to us in the death of Christ. That's so confirming. That's so solid. Have you got it? Let me give you another illustration from 1 Peter. Peter begins his first letter by saying, Praise be to the the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And again, the NIV study Bible says this. In the Bible, hope is not wishful thinking. I hope. Wishful thinking. But, and get this, a firm conviction, much like faith that is directed towards the future, that is hope from the God of hope. It's complete certainty. Reminded me of that strange prophet in the Old Testament, Balaam. Do you remember him? Well, one thing you will remember about him was his donkey, Balaam's ass. Balak, the local chieftain, the local priest, had hired Balaam to curse the children of Israel as they traveled north up the east coast or up the east side of the River Jordan. But God, every time Balaam went to him, said, no, these people are to be blessed, not cursed. And indeed, as he was riding to Balak on one occasion, God sent his angel, his avenging angel, to stop him, to kill him, if necessary. But Balaam didn't see him. The donkey saw him. And the donkey said something. Now, I'm not interested in what the donkey said. It's a very strange sort of situation. But listen to what Balaam said to Balak very firmly. God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? That's it. He's the God of certainty. If God says it, he does it. Do you know Numbers 23, 19 off by heart? I've kept it in my heart for years and it's always useful. It's always useful. If God says it, he does it. And on that I live. Let me go back to that definition of hope. A firm conviction much like faith that is directed towards the future. Faith. Now when I say faith, what comes into your head? Scripture verse? I hope so. Hebrews 11 verse 1. Look at what it says. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for. That's faith. I believe it. I know it. God has said it. Being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Certainty. Complete surety. And just before that, the writer to the Hebrews had said, we have this hope, this hope of God's glory, this hope of being with him, this hope 
that's complete certainty. We have this hope as an anchor to the soul, firm and secure. And so the verse goes on, may the God of hope fill you with all joy. Now, people in Windsor will know the story I'm going to tell because I've told it so many times. I'm not apologizing for that. I think we, we need to be reminded of it. And of course, it has to do with Lakeside. Windsor had a very close relationship with the residential home for older people in Lakeside for, for many years until unfortunately it had to close. Lovely mansion, a beautiful mansion at the Malone Road end of uh, Finicky Road South, set beside a lake. And every month, a team from the church went three days in one week to help the old people, the older people there, to uh, worship, to praise God, to pray, and to study. And I used to do a series of studies with them. And one was in the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, and so on. I just got to joy, and I was saying, this morning it's joy we're going to talk about. And the lady interrupted me, lovely lady, Betty Pritchard. Some people may remember her. She spent most of her adult life in northern India as an evangelist, as a missionary. And she said, Mr. Greenwood, she always called me Mr. Greenwood. Do you know the difference between joy and happiness? No, I said, and I repeated it so that everybody sitting in their armchairs could hear what we were talking about. What is the difference between joy and happiness? Four words. Happiness happens. Joy abides. That's it. Happenings change. My happiness changes. Both words come from the same uh, old English root, hap. So my happiness depends on happenings. If they're good, I'm happy. If they're not so good, I'm not happy. But joy depends on the Lord. And he doesn't change. Happiness happens. Makarios. Why do I say that? And that's the word for happy in, in Greek. And those of you who are old enough will remember Archbishop Makarios, who became President Makarios, the happy president of the newly formed uh, Cyprus Republic. But uh, joy is the word kara. Where's joy? Joy abides. Kara. Now, I know one young lady who's in the congregation who's called Kara. She spells it differently. That makes it Irish, A-G-H. But I think in the beginning it means joy. I love the, NI, uh, the uh, New Living Translation. Just brought things to life. But as a layman, I'm going to say they made a mistake in their translation of Romans 15 and 13. They said, may the God of peace keep you happy. But it's not the word happy. It's not the word makarios at all. It's the word kara. And uh, 
I think that's a pity. Because as, as we have seen, as that lady said to me, there's a big difference between happiness and joy. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And that doesn't change. When Nehemiah looked at the people of Jerusalem, they had rebuilt their walls, they had rehung their doors. But as they stood listening for a whole morning to the scripture being read, they knew they hadn't kept God's word. And they went away weeping. And Nehemiah called after them, Go, eat. Rejoice. The joy of the Lord is your strength. He'll take care of you. He'll do it for you. Joy. Not happiness. That's your lot as you come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Then he goes on, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. Now, Paul uses peace in two different ways. Now, I've got to be very quick here in trying to explain the difference. Therefore, this is what Richard read in that lovely passage in Romans 5. Again, I'm challenging you. Do you know it by heart? Do you live by it? Therefore, since we have been justified just as if I'd never sinned, through faith, we have peace with God. That means the war's over. That means I'm a citizen of heaven. That means my sins have been forgiven. That means I have that glorious hope of the glory of God. Peace with God. Through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. You know the story of Pilgrim and John Bunyan? He'd had a burden on his back. He'd grown with it in the city of destruction. He couldn't get rid of it until evangelists told him to go along the narrow road to a hill and the top of the hill would be a cross and the bottom a sepulcher and they went and as he stood there before the cross his burden fell off and fell into the sepulcher and pilgrim or Christian as he was called said blessed cross, blessed sepulcher blessed rather be the one who there was put to shame for me what's your position this morning? Do you carry the burden of your sin? Have you come to the cross? Have you confessed your sin? Have you accepted Christ as Savior? Peace with God comes from knowing that my sins are forgiven and I'm on my way to heaven. But then Paul uses it in another sense, the peace of God. And there's where uh, Richard paused this morning to give us an explanation. I go, back, I go back to 1953, before all that plethora of new translations and uh, paraphrases came into our hands, I found J.B. Phillips. And what a, what a wonderful challenge it was to read Philippians 4. Don't worry over anything whatever. What a challenge. What do you think of it? Don't worry over anything, whatever. Now look, this isn't peace with God. Our sins are forgiven. The burden is rolled away. But the burden of everyday living is still there. And we're human. Some people have said on the basis of, of that verse, it's a sin to worry. 
Not at all. It's part of our human condition. We're going to worry. We're going to be concerned. Don't worry over anything, whatever. By the way, did the Apostle Paul worry? Was he ever concerned, anxious like that? Well, I would say there's plenty of evidence that he did. Read sometime. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, chapter 4, chapter 7. And see how many times there he mentioned how he was worrying about all sorts of things, including his colleague and friend Titus. Yes, he worried. And then you say, how on earth can he then challenge us by saying, don't worry over anything, whatever. Ah, that's not the point. Here's the point. Tell God every detail of your needs in earnest and thankful prayer. That's it. Don't worry, pray. In nothing be anxious. In everything be prayerful. In all things be thankful. Is that how we live? It's reasonably easy to take my concerns to God. Reasonably easy. Oh Lord, here's the situation. And I don't know how to face it. And then go away, still as worried as ever. But Paul promises that if we take our concerns to him and really believe, then the peace of God which transcends human understanding, I can't understand it, but I can experience it, will keep constant guard over your hearts, how you feel about things and minds, where you work out your problems as they rest in Christ Jesus. Have you felt that ever? The peace of God. Lord, you know. The problem's still there, but you're with me in it. And I feel a peace that just comes from nothing else except trusting in you. Hazel and I had the uh, pleasure of going to Philippi on a couple of occasions when we were in holiday in Greece. And uh, they showed us, sorry I, I couldn't get a picture without somebody in it. Um, they showed us a modern baptismal pool where, where baptism had taken place in Paul's time. They showed us the entrance reportedly to, to the prison where Paul and Silas sat after being severely beaten, they had uh, cured the demonic slave girl. And they sang their heads off and they brought the house down. At least there was an earthquake. But what struck me especially was this. Couldn't get a, a better picture. Do you see the little bump on the top of the hill, the Acropolis? That's the fortress where the Roman soldiers stayed. Because Philippi was a colony of heaven. And uh, every citizen was a citizen of Rome and had all the privileges of being a Roman. And that meant they had a detachment of soldiers up there on the hill in a barracks, in a fortress, always keeping constant guard over them. So that if they looked in that direction during the daylight, they saw the flash of a sword, the gleam of a spear. If they looked in that direction during the night, they saw a lantern. 
or a torch, keeping constant guard. And they, the Philippians knew very well what Paul was saying in his illustration. Let's catch on to it. Keeping constant guard over your hearts and minds as they rest in Christ Jesus. Constant guard. Wonderful thought. And the peace of God. Think of it again. Which transcends human understanding will keep constant guard over your heart and mind as they rest in Christ Jesus. One more thing to say. Peace with God. Well, I'm, I'm simply summarizing here. I've put a, a line, straight line through. My standing never changes. I've been forgiven. I'm a citizen of heaven. That will not change. That cannot change. That's God's will through our Lord Jesus Christ. But the peace of God, how does that work in your life? My state can change from day to day. My state can change from minute to minute. Here's the peace of God. And maybe I should have made the up lines vertical. Because once you commit it to God, his peace comes. And straight away you have his peace in your heart and in your mind. As they rest in Christ Jesus. J.B. Phillips. Don't know what happened to the size of that, but never, never mind. As you trust in him, as you trust in him, these things will happen. Trust is simply the word faith. Now, other um, versions say, in your faith, or because of your faith, or in the exercise of your faith. It's simply the word faith that's there. Your trust. And remember what we said about faith? Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we don't see. Wonder overflow. What picture comes into your mind when you say overflow with hope? Is that it? Well, it's a good biblical illustration. That's Psalm 23, isn't it? My cup overflows. But my mind went to something somewhat different. Do you recognize it? Of course. It's a body of water. And you know where it is. And many of you have been there very often. Just at the top of the hill as you come towards the dam. And uh, there's, what's it called? I've forgotten the name of the mountain. The one in the distance is, is Dona, or Doan. But there's the overflow. Such a difference between that and a, a glass of water. I must admit I've only been there once when it was overflowing because I don't go in the winter time. But the overflow is there when it does overflow. And look. By the way, if you put uh, into your browser overflow like that, up will come from, what is it, Facebook. Am I one of a billion who have used Facebook in the past week? <laughs> um, and you'll get a 22-second video with sound. 
of this overflowing. I like that picture better. Because the water is flowing there and it's going down 25 meters. And it's a lovely flow. Overflowing. What's your idea about overflowing? Overflowing with hope. I must finish. I don't know where we've come to, but that doesn't matter. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope through the power, and that's what's missing from the screen, the power of the Holy Spirit. Power. I'll give you another Greek word. Dunamis or dynamis. That's power. Do you know the connection between that and the Nobel Peace Prize? I haven't time to tell you. Ask, ask your friend as you have coffee. What's, what's the connection between the Greek word meaning power, dynamis, or dunamis, and the Nobel Peace Prize? I had another... Can't get it, man, no. Um, I wanted to give you a nice diagram at the end, but it's disappeared from our screen, I'm afraid. Ah, up we come, let's see. (laughs) No. Well then, here we are. The final diagram. We've been talking about the God of hope. And as I trust, as I have faith in him, then I have all joy and peace. I love diagrams. I think they make things clear. I hope they do. So that results in overflowing hope. How? By the power of the Holy Spirit. You got it?